Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We are going to talk about hope this morning, and it was hope that got me out of bed at a quarter to five. Who, who here are morning people? You are not my people. I don't do the mornings well. I just, there's something about early morning that I love the thought of being awake early in the morning, but I just don't do it well. But anyway, my, my son Eli invited some friends over and so I thought I'd better be a good host. And I was interested in the match, but it was really hope that got me up at a quarter to five this morning. And, and it was truly hope in, a, uh, in the sense that I had no expectation that we were going to win the match. No expectation. But I still got up because I was hopeful that we would. I didn't get up because my hope was based on any history, because we were playing one of the heavyweights of world football. I'm going to call it football just for the purists in the room, but the heavyweights of world soccer. Are there any Argentinians in the room this morning? Just Brazilians. Just Brazilians. <laughs> I think you guys have got a good chance. But when Australia, a small nation where the code of football is about number five on the list of our national sports. I wasn't hopeful based on history. I wasn't hopeful based on form. I was just hopeful that maybe we could spring an upset. Now, I'm just one of these people that every four years takes an interest in the game of soccer and uh, knows nothing about it, but I thought we did pretty well. But my hope this morning was based on two things, want and desire. Want and desire. That was purely what my hope was based on this morning. And when we speak about hope, in so many senses, the things that we hope for are purely based on want and desire. You know, we want, I want something, I hope for something for Christmas. It's not based on evidence, it's just based on want and desire. But that's not the kind of hope I want to speak to this morning. I want to speak to hope that's grounded in something completely different. And the Bible, when it speaks of hope, doesn't speak of something that is just want and desire, even though it is that. The things that we hope for, the things that we're, we're told to hope for are things that we desire. But when the Bible speaks about hope, it puts it in a completely different sense. The, the Greek word for hope is a word that's elpis. And elpis actually means to anticipate and expect that which is certain. It almost goes against our natural understanding of what hope should be because it says we live in this space of want and desire or of anticipation, but that that we anticipate is that which is certain. It's hard to get our head around because so often when we throw out the word hope, the thing that we want is not certain. And so when we read the Scriptures and it says that Jesus is our hope or that we should live life through the lens of hope, the encouragement is to live with a want and desire in this moment, knowing that what we step towards and what we step into one day will be certain. See, Christian hope is a desire for God's good future, and that, we are told, is certain. But now we're told to live in the present, even though that hasn't yet materialised, but we live today in a way that steps into a certain future. It's a really important nuance in the way that we understand hope. And the Bible tells us that we can live in that kind of hope for three 
really simple reasons. That we can have hope because of God's goodness. The psalmist puts it so nicely. He says this, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, there is the picture of hope that one day our story isn't going to come to an abrupt end, but it's going to walk into a place where we too will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the scriptural invitation to hope is one that is based on the goodness of God. You see, when we know someone's character, it actually gives us the chance to actually put trust in their character. And when hope is born out of that trust, certainty arises. I'm married to a really good woman. She's been married to me for 21 years. Name's Chrissy. And uh, look, to, to have lo- done that for 21 years, loved me for 21 years, she must be a good woman. But when Chrissy says that something's going to happen, because I know her character, I'm certain that I will step into the reality of that in the future because over time I've learned to trust her goodness and her character. And she's always proven that to me throughout our life together. You see, when we understand someone's character, when we know that they are good, when we know that their heart is inclined towards us, and the Bible tells us that God's heart is inclined towards you and I, that He is in favour of us, that He is working for the best of us and that He is working above the narrative of the life that you now experience to write a better story than one you could write for yourself. Because God is good, we have hope. But hope isn't just grounded in God's goodness, it's grounded in God's faithfulness. The writer of Hebrews says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. You know, the Bible is simply the record of God's revelation to mankind. People that have seen God act and have recorded it so that you and I have the chance to encounter the nature and the character of God throughout all of the ages. And the one thing that you won't find in this book is any story where God hasn't been faithful to the promises that he's made. Yeah, it's a book that's born both out of his sovereignty and out of his power. In other words, when God promises something, he has the capacity to fulfill it. As humans, we don't always have the capacity to fulfill the promises that we make. A few years ago, uh, my family and I went on a road trip down through uh, New South Wales and into Victoria. And it was in October, but a cold snap hit. And we decided to take a slight detour on our trip and stop in Jindabyne. And my kids have never seen snow. To that stage, I'd never actually seen um, snow in the person. This is back in 2015, not that long ago. And uh, we went up to Perisher for the day. They just had a fresh dump of snow. And I love the mountains, but I love the idea of just being in the mountains and so we went up there it didn't cost us that much it was just a day pass that allowed us to play on some toboggans make some snowmen and then go for a ride on one of the chairlifts now we get on this chairlift and if you've ever been to Perisher uh, we're on the Mount Perisher chairlift and it goes right to the top of the mountain and it was a blue sky day there were people skiing the mountain was covered in a fresh coverage of snow. And as we're sitting on the chairlift going up, I said to one of my children, how good is this? I'm going to bring you guys back here and we're going to learn to ski. (laughs) Just a moment of parental weakness. I've got five kids, right? Anyway, we get to the bottom and the thing that I hadn't done was look at the price list for skiing. (laughs) I did that at the bottom and for the last Seven years I've been saying to my kids, that is one promise that I will not fulfill for you. I'm just going to tell you now, I made a mistake. Okay? 
It was a great idea and I still love the concept of it, but I cannot afford to take all of you skiing. So I've taken myself skiing about four times since. (laughs) And all I say to my kids is, well, I was 33 before I got to learn to ski. So you can save up and learn to ski when you're 33 too. They go, well, what about the chairlift, the perisher, Dad? Forget that, that was a broken promise. I'm gonna own it. You see, it wasn't that in that moment I didn't wanna fulfill that promise. It's just that when I actually thought about it, I didn't have the capacity or the power to fulfill it. But the Bible tells us that God actually has both that, the capacity and the power to fulfill any promise that he makes. And so the scriptures tell us that God has always proven to be faithful to his word. So when we're invited to have hope, we're invited to put hope in someone who has always proven to make a promise and to see it fulfilled. Not that, and these aren't just good intention promises like the one I made to my kids. These are promises that are grounded in the powerful sovereign God who has the capacity to bring them to bear. So therefore, as we find our hope grounded in God's faithfulness, we also find our hope that's grounded in the fulfilment of God's promises. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, the invitation you and I have to live lives filled with hope comes from God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and the fulfillment of God's promises. We're invited to live as people of hope. Now, everything I've said this morning is true, but some of us might be thinking it's, it's great sentiment because yet in my life, I'm not sure that I've seen and experienced for myself those things, God's faithfulness and God coming true and following through on his promises to me. You see, we can live with hope, yet so often we live overwhelmed and overcome by the circumstances of life. And circumstances have a funny way to actually make us question our hope. But you see, if we live here and that which we hold on to is something down the track that is certain, What is it that can derail that hope in us? Maybe it's opposition. Maybe right now you're sitting here and you're going, God is sovereign and God is powerful. But right now, the giants that surround me, and those giants could be many things for you. They could be a a sense of, you know, ridicule that are coming. It could be a sense of having to try and hold on to your faith in amongst a hostile environment or workplace or university, you know, cohort. That opposition right now is just overwhelming your sense of, of hope. Maybe it's that you feel like you've been backed into a corner and instead of wanting to stay the course, there's a sense that you need to find some other way to react or to jump out of that which you're in right now. Maybe you feel powerless. Maybe you feel threatened. You see, our circumstances have a capacity to actually drain hope from us. I want to take us back to the story of two ancient kings, and it's here that we come to the book of Isaiah. Thankfully, Isaiah chapter 7, Andrew, not Isaiah chapter 9, or I'd really be in trouble this morning. But interesting, you, you can read the account of these kings in 2 Kings chapter 16 and onwards. But parallel to that was a man named Isaiah that was a prophet of the time of these kings. And when you read of the first king, he was a king by the name of Ahaz. The Bible in 2 Kings just simply says that Ahaz was unfaithful to God. He wasn't a good king. But we get a different side of Ahaz's story when we go to the book of Isaiah. 
And Isaiah chapter 7 tells of a moment in Ahaz's reign where he had two other significant nations coming against him. You see, we, we often think, I think, because we read the Scriptures that the people of Israel or the nation of Israel or by the time we get to this story, the divided nation of Judah and Israel are global superpowers, but they're not. In the political scene of the day, they were actually fairly insignificant. They were probably a little bit like Australia when it came to the global superpowers of our day. And if some of the nations of this world decided to turn their military might and attention against our nation today, we would realise pretty quickly how powerless we actually were. It was like that in the time of the Old Testament. The, the people of Israel were not a large or significant nature on the global political landscape. And King Ahaz is the king of Judah, which is part of the divided kingdom. And it says that he has two other kings coming against him. And it says, but to this point, they cannot overcome him. But he is now threatened by an external power. And the prophet Isaiah speaks into this moment to King Ahaz. And he says this, it says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramilah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So we're at a point in the story yet where Ahaz hasn't been overtaken. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They haven't yet been overcome, but there's a real fear that resides in them. Why? Because when they look at the circumstances before them, what they see coming against them was a significant force. But then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the, road, on the road to Launderer's Field. And say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. It's like those shirts, isn't it? They came from the book of Isaiah. Someone flogged it. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. This is how God actually describes the nations that come against Ahaz. Two smouldering stumps of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. God himself sends a message to the king and says, Ahaz, I know right now you are filled with fear. I know your people are filled with fear because when they look at the circumstances before them, they see these military mites coming against them. Well, I want to say when I look at that that comes against them, all I see is a couple of smouldering stubs of firewood. Do not fear, it will not happen. See, Ahaz is invited in this moment to look past the circumstances to the power of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and ask to fill himself with hope. If we go back to the story of two kings, though, we find out that Ahaz chooses to go against the word of the Lord and take a very different 
approach. Isaiah continues and in verse 14 says something that becomes very familiar for us in this Christmas season. He has this conversation, says, ask for a sign. And King Ahaz says, I won't ask for a sign. And Isaiah says, well, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. Yet Ahaz doesn't listen to the word of the Lord and goes and actually starts to put his hope in something else. You see, overwhelmed by the giants and the circumstances, back into a corner, Ahaz goes to the king of Assyria and makes a pact with him, actually says, we'll be your servants if you come and help me defeat these enemies. And they start to embrace the practices of the king and the people of Assyria. They tear down things out of God's temple and they start to create places of worship to other gods. It actually says that Ahaz does a whole series of really detestable things because he chooses not to put his hope in God. He chooses to put his hope in something else. And the Bible tells us that it doesn't go well for Ahaz. But Ahaz has a son. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah's political landscape is no different from his father's. It's, it's a time of great tension and people grabbing for land and overwhelming and overtaking other nations. But Hezekiah is given the same encouragement to stand firm in the face of the enemy and to put his trust in God. And Hezekiah makes a very different decision to that of his father Ahaz. Actually, the, the king of Assyria sends someone up to the people and starts yelling at them through the city walls. You know, just don't listen to anything Hezekiah says. He has no capacity to protect you from my hand that is about to come against you. But this is what Hezekiah prays. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have, shown, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. You see, Hezekiah does something completely different to his father Ahaz. Ahaz looks at the promises of God and chooses to go and put his trust somewhere else. But Hezekiah puts his faith and trust in the promises of God. He holds on to the hope of the all-powerful God actually fulfilling that which he promised. And the Bible tells us that Hezekiah finds this famous and amazing and miraculous victory over his enemy because he stood firm in the hope that was given to him and God acted on his behalf. See, right now it might be hard for you because of the circumstances in your life to hold on to hope. But I encourage you that hope is grounded in God's goodness, God's faithfulness and God's promise. And as Hezekiah chooses to stand in trust and in faith, God acts on his behalf. And sometimes when we're overwhelmed by that that comes against us, the thing that we're called to do is to stand firm in faith and trust and in hope that God will continue to fulfil his promises in our day as he has right throughout history. You see, when we choose to stand firm in this moment, overwhelmed by our circumstances, put our hope in the things of God, it actually gives us the chance to live really differently. And I just wanted for a few moments this morning, just give us a couple of thoughts around the difference that hope makes to the way that we live our life today. And the first thing I want to say is this, hope allows us to be joyful in all circumstances. 
Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. See, right now it may not feel like your circumstances allow you to experience joy, but hope gives us the chance to experience joy. As I read the New Testament, there's something that always kind of captures me. It's something that happens when people get a hold of the message of Jesus and actually apply it to their life, that it doesn't matter what is happening around them, what storms come, they're able to look past that and live with a sense of joy and anticipation that comes not because of what comes against them in this moment, but because of what they know they're walking towards and into. See, joy is possible in the midst of your circumstances right now because of hope. If Paul and Silas are chained in the inner sanctum of a prison, probably naked, probably beaten. It's not a comfortable or a nice place to be, but what do we find them doing? Singing praise to God, praying to God. Why? There's something about hope that enables us to live differently in this moment. Because we actually long and look forward with anticipation of something that God has promised will be. Not something we kind of cross our fingers and think it's just a chance that this might come true. When we get a hold of hope, we know that it's something we step towards. And no matter what comes against us now, it doesn't derail us because we know that God is good, God is faithful, and God always fulfills His promises. And so there's Paul and Silas in this prison, praising God and praying to Him because they know that the God they serve is more powerful, is more sovereign than any enemy that comes against them. See, what happens to the disciples that when they actually get a a glimpse of the risen Jesus, that they decide to give their life to the service of Him? And all of them, we find out through history, are martyred, all by one are martyred because of their faith in Jesus. They gave up great careers. They gave up probably great wealth. They gave up comfort. They probably gave up all of the things that so many other people chase in life. But what was it? They got a glimpse of hope and the certain hope that is found in Jesus. And they were able to find joy in the circumstances because they knew that what God had promised was certain. And so right now they live differently. See, hope gives us the opportunity to live differently today because of what we know God will do somewhere tomorrow. Hope is joyful in all circumstances. Hope is patient in affliction, to continue the thought from Romans. You see, when things go against us, it's easy, like Ahaz did, to take matters into our own hands. But hope allows us to be patient in the midst of today's circumstances. Just on 12 months ago, uh, life kind of turned upside down a little bit for our family through the month of December. The last day of school, we got a phone call from uh, Chrissy's family to say that her mum had been taken to hospital. And over the next two weeks, uh, Chrissy ran up and back to Toowoomba half a dozen times to be with her mum before eventually on the 16th of December, she passed away. It's, it's been a time of great grief for our family. She was uh, just so loved. Chrissy's one of six, uh, one of seven daughters, very close-knit family. And so there's been a lot of grief this year as they've uh, farewelled her mum. But as we stood as a family at the graveside, I had the great privilege of being asked to do the graveside service by my father-in-law. And the passage that we stood around and we reflected on as a family came from 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 that says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. 
My mother-in-law was a beautiful Christian lady who put her hope and her faith and her trust in Jesus. So even though the journey of the last 12 months has been marked for Chrissy and her siblings and, and my father-in-law by great grief because of the loss, it's grief in the present that's tinged by hope for the future because they know that even though they said farewell and there's still a great uh, a yearning for what has been lost, there's also a spark of hope that says we do not grieve like those that have no hope because we know that the one who promised is faithful and one day we'll be reunited. You see, that is what hope is. Hope allows us to be patient in the midst of our affliction and trusting in our times of turmoil. Because no matter what comes against you in this moment, we know that the story God has written for your future is much better. I... I get to officiate a lot of funerals over my 20 years in ministry. And there is a marked difference between those that have fallen asleep with a faith in Jesus compared to having officiate a funeral with people that have no hope. The grief is different. The expression of grief is different. So Paul writes to a church and says, I, I want to tell you about what happens to those that have got faith in Jesus and those that have hope in him so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, hope gives us the capacity to be patient in our affliction and to trust in our time of turmoil. And finally, hope gives us the invitation to live through a lens that is eternal. See, we, we live as people of hope means that the way we live today is very different from the way we'd live if we had no hope. We get to live with this sense of delayed gratification that says, because I trust in God's good future, I don't need to suck everything out of this moment. I don't need to, you know, amass wealth for myself in this moment. I can be generous to those on the other side of the world that need to know my generosity so that they can experience God's hope in this moment. See, I don't need to take everything out of life because I know that the life I'm called to live today is a life that's been called to live to God's good future. It changes my, my, the way that I am generous. It changes the way that I speak to others. It changes those that I choose to invest in with relationship. You see, when we live through an eternal lens of hope, it changes the way we do life today because we actually have hope that says tomorrow is not the end. So we don't have to suck everything out of life today. Because God's writing a story that's bigger than just today, tomorrow, this week. The years that God gives you on this earth. He's writing a story that steps into all of eternity. We can live with a delayed gratification because of hope. And the people of Israel were waiting for a long time. I get the band to come join me. The people of Israel were waiting for a long time for God to reveal himself in power through the promised Messiah. And history tells us that they constantly gave up hope, took matters into their own hands, did as King Ahaz did, and walked away from the things of God and put their trust in other things. It always went poorly for them when they did. They were impatient, they were entrusting, they were rebellious. Every time God spoke and asked them to trust Him, at some point someone would give up and do things their own way. But when the Gospel of Matthew is written and the Gospel writer, when Matthew chooses to start his story and tell of the birth of Christ, he takes us back to the promises of Isaiah because you know what God promises? He's always faithful to his promises. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew takes us back to that hopeful promise from the prophet Isaiah. One that at the time the king chose to turn away from and take matter into his own hands. But what Matthew announces in the coming of the birth of Jesus is that God has finally acted in one final way in human history to make a way for all of us. Not just to experience a hope which we cross our fingers and want to walk towards and just... There's a possibility it might take place, but to tell us that we can walk into a future filled with certainty, that the desires that are within us for God's good future are actually born in certainty because God Himself has chosen to act in history. And it was through a man that took on flesh and blood, God Himself in the person Jesus. I want to invite you this Christmas to allow the hope of Jesus to stand taller than the circumstances that face you right now. To allow the hope of Jesus, to allow you to be patient in the midst of whatever confronts you in this moment that you just want to take matter into your own hands. To allow the hope of Jesus to be bigger than the opposition that comes against you. To allow the hope of Jesus to be bigger than that health issue that confronts you right now because He who promised is faithful. And one day all of us, no matter what journey life will take us on, have the promise of God's good future because God Himself has chosen to act in history and in our story. And so we can live as people of hope. How would you stand with me this morning? I just wanna finish today really simply by praying a blessing over all of us. You know, I can't know every individual story, but... I know for many of us, the, the, the thing that's overwhelming our time, our thoughts right now is something that, you know, the circumstances of life are just overwhelming. But I just wanna pray for you this Christmas that you would just experience the hope of God that can give you joy no matter what circumstance. It can give you patience in your affliction. That can allow you to trust in God despite all of the evidence proving otherwise and that can allow you to live today differently because you know tomorrow is certain in Jesus. Hey, Lord God, I wanna thank you. Thank you that you took the initiative to act in our story. Thank you, Jesus, that you stepped out of the glory of heaven, clothed yourself in humanity and flesh and blood, came to live amongst us, not just to show us what it is to live and to flourish in your ways, but through your death and your resurrection to give us a hope, a certain future 
that every one of us can step into because of the way that you have chosen to act. Lord God, I wanna pray for anyone here this morning that right now as we head towards Christmas is just overwhelmed by whatever confronts them or whatever circumstances now confront them. But God, I wanna pray that you give them the heart of Hezekiah Lord, that chooses even when the giants that are surrounding are are bigger than anything they know in their own human power they can defeat, that He chose to trust in You and in Your power and Your sovereignty and Your promise. God, build resilience, I pray. Build faith, I pray. Strengthen tired legs, I pray. Fill us with Your hope, I pray. In the mighty Name of Jesus, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know. 